Andy, I'm going to hand over to you. So Andy's going to speak, give us a five-minute warning when he's going to stop. He said it. And then we're going to move into time of commissioning. So it's our first Sunday of a new year. It could be all sort of spiritual and think that, well, really, God's out of time, outside of time. Um, what does it really matter? Calendar years, whether they're decades or, or whatever. What does it really matter? Do we need to put any extra weight on new months, new seasons, new years, etc.? I would say, actually, you know, we do. I would say that, you know, God, God created beginnings and endings. He gave us seasons. He gave us one specific day to rest, um, whichever that may be. But I say that he does use time, that's his creation, to fulfill his purposes. We, we live in, in time. And I believe God uses time as a mechanism within which to work his spiritual purposes. So it's okay to use the start of new year for this. He uses the sunrise, more illustrations to build expectation. Okay, it was a little bit difficult this morning when we woke, set the alarm for quarter to seven, but um, we didn't quite see the sunrise. But it, the idea is to build purpose and expectation in each new day. Each of the seven days of creation we read in the Bible have a different purpose as well in and of themselves. And a new season or a new year can be used um, as we partner with God, if we choose to, to, to evaluate or reevaluate really where we've been and where we're heading. And I know some of you might have done that even over the past decade as well. Look back, see where you've come in the last 10 years as well. So that's all by way of saying it's okay to use the start of a new year, a new decade, in such a way. So, to the start of this new year, for us in Billericay, 2020 holds particular significance in that it's 400 years uh, this year since the Pilgrim Fathers sailed from these shores on the Mayflower. Uh, a few of those on board being from this town. Um, some of you may know the stories. Mostly Puritans, they were unhappy that the church and state were intermingled and uh, that, they, that what they considered really the echoes of Roman Catholicism that still held its sway in the Church of England. That's their beef really. It needs to be said that they didn't, I would say that they didn't completely hold the moral high ground. I don't think um, we can paint them as completely good and the state church as completely uh, bad. I don't think it's as cut and dried as that. Um, uh, that would be a gross exaggeration. But essentially there were some Christian freedoms that I think we would empathise with with these, these people who set sail 400 years ago. Having uh, briefly sought haven, if you know this story, in Holland uh, for a while, they headed then eventually to the New World in search of the freedom to live out their Christian faith without really the, the restrictions of the state church and the limitations imposed upon the work and person of the Holy Spirit, which was inherent in that time in a lot of the churchmanship, particularly the, the traditional churchmanship. I would say that, um, sadly, 400 years on, man still attempts to fetter the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not just in the church, but that's in the world I'm not limiting it, it's just the church. Uh, but I'm not just talking about locally, I'm casting the net wider nationally as well. 
I would say the fruit of this is evident in the decline of churches which have taken the root of what I might call, you might call supernatural impotence and uh, the chaos and confusion in the world also which has chosen to reject God's ways as well. So those two things together. I would say for the church it's disingenuous to pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as in heaven etc. Without um, partnering with the Holy Spirit and seeing his power released in, an, in the answer to that prayer. I don't, th- I don't see that you can see an answer to that prayer without the Holy Spirit uh, in partnership. I would just say it's this disingenuous to pray that prayer, but to say, Holy Spirit, we limit you or reject you. To suit, whether it's personal uh, preference, churchmanship, traditions, whatever the reason or excuse is. So that's the church. For the world, I would say it's disingenuous uh, to shake its fist against God, against the God in which it neither believes or in whose ways it steadfastly resists, yet to blame God still, incongruously, for the world's ills. That's often what happens. So those two things, the church and the world, in the light of this, really, the church capital C, is charged by God with um, resolutely shutting out the darkness, but also wholeheartedly ushering in the light as well. That's a little bit what Steve was saying about welcoming the Holy Spirit, but there's even more than that. As you'll no doubt be aware, if you've been with us a while, God has been speaking to us consistently about this church being a lighthouse, and you might have even taken part in our making of our virtual lighthouse as well on the floor. Um, If not, check out the website and look at the wonderful photos. And you might have even made your lighthouse keeper's hat. You might even still be wearing it around your house. I don't know. We don't have CCTV in your home, but I'd love to hear if you do. Anyway, um, um, so so God's been speaking to us consistently about being a lighthouse uh, built upon the unshakable foundation of Jesus and his word, that's one part of it, but also allowing the supernatural life of God to radiate out of us uh, for the reason of drawing people to the safety of Jesus and bringing his light into their life, into their circumstances. It's for those reasons. So, New Year. Over the coming months, we plan to actively pursue this goal through everything we do. God's wonderfully given us some, some exciting strategies which we'll be rolling out. This will obviously be the responsibility of Jane and I, uh, of the leadership of the church, but also everyone within the Revival Church Biraki family. We're going to journey on this together over the next um, year. Now, the resistance to God and the uncertainties in the world, uh, I would say, actually serve the purposes of God by creating polarity so that um, increasingly, those, those perceived grey areas, there are no grey areas uh, as far as God is concerned, diminish and light and darkness becomes distinct. This serves the purposes of God actually having distinction, light and darkness. That's not to wish darkness upon people, but actually if there are grey areas within the church or without, actually, people are less able to distinguish the light. So it's actually good to have polarity, to have light that's, that, that, is, that is true, 
starkly set against uh, the darkness so that people can be alerted to the darkness they're in and be aware of the light to which God wants to, 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 to draw them into. For those in the world and yet not aware of, of the parlous situation which they find themselves living their lives without Jesus, as I say, this is going to uh, serve to alert them to the urgency of repentance. The, the church, I would say, must call time on attempting to please people with culturally sensitive, a culturally sensitive, diluted gospel, which I say not only robs them of the revelation of the need to repent, but also it robs them really of the opportunity to re, um, return to a God who loves them. It, we, we don't serve people by do, diluting the gospel. It doesn't, uh, for me, seem like um, we're showing love, extending love to people if we rob them of the, of the need to repentance. Repentance is good. God means for the church, sorry, God means for the world to conform to him, not the church to be conformed to the pattern of the world. I know we know that, but it's just just good reminder at the start of the year. For those in the church who are living compromised lives and are lukewarm believers, this is going to serve as a wake-up call to live fully for God. That's a good thing. I believe actually we're living in unprecedented times with some key biblical indicators being fulfilled in, in our lifetime, I would say, such as the restoration uh, of Israel, people returning to the land, but there will be others as well. And it could be that we are living in what the Bible calls the last days. Obviously, we can't put a, a time span on this, be it long or short, but it would seem to many that actually the world is moving towards its final stages. As I say once more, there's no time span on this. I would say we're moving to the final stages according to the plans and purposes of God. It has to be said, travail um, has um, always been the human experience right from the, the fall. But I would say that there appears to be an acceleration, an acceleration in world-shaking events and changes over the past century. You don't need to be a historian to note that. This could well be the fulfilment of that scripture from Hebrews you're wondering where I was going to get to some scripture, weren't you? Hebrews 12, 26 to 27. But just backtracking, everything I've said has been established and built on the Bible, obviously. Hebrews 12, 26 to 27 says this, and we need to take note. Yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is things that have been made, in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. As, as Jesus uh, made clear um, in that parable of the wise and foolish builders, it's only when our lives are built upon the unshakable foundation of Jesus, and only when our lives, sorry, only when our lives are shaken do we know what our lives are built upon. Okay, when things are going smoothly, we are unaware. But when our lives are shaken, we then know upon that which we've established our lives. Hopefully that, that is Jesus. It's wonderful over the past few months. Once more, if you've been with us, we've been uh, spent time strengthening our foundations, uh, looking over some quite weighty biblical doctrines as a church. 
But this is not only for our own benefit, personal benefit, I say, but for the purpose of being light in the darkness. We said that already. With our foundations rock solid, we can focus our energies on bringing heaven to earth and not simply trying to hold on to dear life. If our foundations aren't firm, all we're doing is we're looking after ourselves. But that's moving on from baby food to maturity. That's what those doctrines were for, to establish something weighty in us. So we're able to be of service, not to just cleave to God for dear life until we reach eternity. There's more to life that God has for us than this. I love it that so many of us are already actively doing this in their daily lives um, by being involved in ministry opportunities locally, nationally, regionally, whatever. Things we're aware of, things we're not aware of. It's wonderful. We are an apostolic centre equipping the uh, the church people for the works of service. We are creating a culture, or the the intention is we create a culture where people thrive and God is unfettered. That's the idea of the place. Um, I was speaking to Pam a little bit this morning about this idea about um, this place being a chrysalis where like you, you, may, you may come in, I'm, don't take this personally in the wrong way, but you may come in feeling like you're a caterpillar, but the idea is eventually you become a butterfly and, and you enter something new for God. I don't think that picture is helpful, but it's this for that anyway. It's this for that. But we believe there is uh, much more that God is calling us to. Actually, whether we believe that or not, that is the case. There's always more. God is always calling us to more. Um, The majority of the people in our town, in Essex, our nation, is a fact have not received Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. Many have made up their minds that they that don't do church. We, we speak to them sometimes in street passes or, or schools passes or schools ministry, whatever uh, your way of connecting with people or in your workplaces. Um, they don't do church, they don't believe in God, or maybe are just simply not interested in knowing him, whichever box they want to tick. Our challenge, therefore, is to find ways to change this situation. It will never involve compromising the gospel or diluting the word of God. But it will involve us becoming, um, to quote Apostle Paul from 1 Corinthians 9, 22, 23, if you're taking notes, all things to all people, that by all means we might save some. Okay, that's the goal. I believe that this will require us in the coming year and beyond discarding those things that hinder our effective witness to people not yet in God's kingdom. In other words, how we do church, or perhaps how we perceive church. That's going to need freshly appraising. It's a massive challenge to us, to those of us who have a choice, really, as to how we do church, regarding really really what our churchmanship looks like. We have a choice. Uh, in places uh, around the world where the church is persecuted, they don't have this liberty. Um, everything but the essentials really is stripped away. I would assume that um, the basics for, for many believers in persecuted countries are, you might want to add to these, the lordship of Jesus. The things that are important to them, that they um, have to focus on, the lordship of Jesus, the fellowship of, of believers, that community of faith community. Because sure as not, no one else is standing with them if they don't stand together. And it's becoming increasingly like this in this country, so we need to wise up. Worship. Prayer, communion, sharing the gospel, 
There may be others, but I can't think there are many other things that are going to really matter when, when you're up against it. And stripped bare of all other peripheral elements, these Christians are often amazingly fruitful and seeing souls saved and people discipled. That's a challenge to us, isn't it? It presents us with a challenge. What is there, here's a question, what is there of the way we do church which makes it difficult for unbelievers to connect with God, that's the first thing, but also to become part of his church? I'm just going to leave that hanging there as I move on. As somebody who was uh, raised in the church, there are things I like about it and which I feel comfortable with, but are probably stumbling blocks to those outside the church. We have to be honest about those things. The Puritans that I mentioned earlier may have been a little serious and dour about their faith, but they did have a point about the unwillingness of the established church to rid itself of the ecclesiastical inheritance of of Constantine, uh, so around uh, 300 AD-ish, and that which ensued from him, which was so very different from the expressions of the church we read about in Acts and uh, in the first couple of two or three hundred years prior to that, whilst Christianity might have been subsumed into this greater Christendom by Constantine, actually, I would say, had the net effect of creating what I would say is a secular, sacred divide, um, leading to a um, pseudo-priesthood, formerly ordained clergy who fulfilled vicarious set-apart roles, that was that that began with Constantine, but also a pseudo temple, a holy house of God, in which there are religious artifices and altars. That that started with Constantine. That wasn't there in the early church. That had become uh, that's that's become part of the church. So this is not this not only had the net effect of making God appear less accessible, that's completely contrary to the purpose of the cross, isn't it? But of also removing the need, and here's the thing, for the supernatural input of the Holy Spirit. These being replaced by forms, emblems and types. I am getting somewhere with this. You can see where this is going as I bring this to a close. We believe that God is wanting 2020 to be a year in which we see an increase in the reality of the Holy Spirit in this region, in this town, in this nation. We've we've been joining with others um, for for a long time, praying for this nation, and we continue to do that. It's not just about... Um, Brexit, it's not just about Boris, whichever B you want to say, but it's actually it's actually about um, Jesus being Lord of this nation, about the freedom of the Holy Spirit in this nation and other things. And it's about erasing the lines between the church and the world. In God's economy, there are no lines. It's the church which has put the demarcation lines there. It started with Constantine and thus it has gone on. We've got to take courage, church, actually, not just to blur them, but to erase them. So this is what this is about. We're called to sort the world, so that's where we need to be. But both demand intentional responses. An increase in the operation of the Holy Spirit in our witness 
is predicated uh, on each of us allowing Jesus the freedom to fully rule and reign in our personal lives. When we limit his lordship in our personal lives, we inevitably and ultimately limit his influence through us. Can I give a five-minute warning? Optimistic five-minute warning. Uh, You don't need to look at your watches. (laughs) I'm there. So, we're going to be doing... Little heads up. What? Yeah, yeah. Pam's gone. Yeah. We're going to be doing a mini teaching. So I keep to move, need to keep moving, don't I? We need to be doing a mini, We're going to be doing a mini teaching series. I'm just giving you a heads up. What's happening over the coming months now? Uh, looking at this, and we've entitled it. Um, credit to my wife for a great title. Jesus is Lord. So what? Okay. It's good, isn't it? In the days of Israel's tabernacle and temple, the glory of God filled them. There was no area in which the Spirit of God was not. If we are truly to be temples of the Holy Spirit, we cannot cannot have any no-go areas in our lives from which God is excluded. Jesus must be therefore Lord of every area of our life. Okay, we'll be taking this one step further and following it with a mini teaching series entitled... The uh, church is Jesus' body, so what? We've just copied that a little bit. The church is Jesus' body, so what? With Jesus established as Lord in every area of our lives, our understanding there of the church then comes into full focus. Of course, we'll need to explore the outworking of this, but that's why we're doing the teaching series. We'll be asking the question... Who are you doing life with, meaning within the church? If we're expecting revival, which is obviously inherent in our name, then we have to consider how people find a way into this community of believers. People will be looking for something to belong to, not just to go to. The Sunday gathering is vital, but that's just part of the picture. So life groups, groups of believers doing life together will be a key part of the life of the church for all of us. Increasing our intention of doing life together in relationship and in discipleship. We're already moving in this direction, but once more, there's more. There's more. So, and into the mix, in March, we, we, we've invited a representative from Open Doors UK. We, we uh, as a church, support Open Doors. But to speak about the persecuted church, they've, they've come before, but we've invited them back. We felt it's the right time to speak about the persecuted church worldwide, really, so that we get a deeper and broader understanding of God's call on his church, but also to help shape us as a church as well, to be informed. It's not just a two-way, a one-way transaction. We want to learn from, from brothers and sisters in Christ from around the world. In April, we have Tim Dieppe. He's head of public policy at Christian Concern. He's coming to speak about the challenges of being a Christian in the UK in this day. Tim speaks on TV and a national stage. So the the dates will be on the calendar, but I encourage you to bring people and to be there. So that's in April, April to speak about the challenges of being a Christian in the UK in this day. And let's once more wise up. There are many challenges for being a, a Bible-believing, spiritful believer in this nation in the day. Let's not be deluded. If you want to nail your colours to the mast, 
you'll be seen by one and all, and some will be taking pot shots at you. So we need to be informed. We're also creating space in March for us to encounter afresh the Holy Spirit on one of the Sundays, be it that in healing, ministry, the prophetic, whatever. Just creating space for that. Okay, added to what we do. So, can you see what the Holy Spirit is doing? He's preparing us to be a people rooted and established wholly on him, a a solid, unshakable lighthouse. He's preparing us to be a people through whom he can flow freely and unfettered, so that his light radiates into an ever-increasingly dark world. To achieve this may well involve us doing church differently, if we are to give God liberty to be God, and for us to be a church in which people can experience God without having to jump through hoops. None of us wants those, but maybe there's more hoops to remove. Who knows? As a town uh, whose main claim to fame put into one side Gavin Stacey and um, Ian Jury, and uh, it's the small band of disenfranchised Christians who left it 400 years ago. But we intend for 2020 to be a year in which this is reversed and it's become increasingly a town where the Holy Spirit is at liberty, is at liberty and Jesus is known. We get the opportunity to be gatekeepers for that. I, I hope and I believe that we're all partnering with that with that um, vision. As a county, which has often become the, the butt of jokes, we and others across Essex intend that in 2020, this county Essex is changed, uh, its image is changed um, gloriously by the love and power of God. As a nation, which has increasingly rejected the lordship of Jesus and the authority of God's word, we intend that 2020 will begin to turn the tide and to re-establish God's righteousness, truth and justice in this land. They're not just um, vain aspirations because God's put them in our heart. We can believe them to happen. God's put them locally for us, but nationally and and. Uh, translocally on the hearts of so many other Christian leaders and churches to see this nation changed. And with God's help, we can do it. Uh, The harvest is ripe, and uh, we have that encouragement from God. To this end, actually, we're introducing seven new or revised power-packed declarations to serve these faith-filled ambitions. I hope you'll be inspired by them and... uh, Uh, As the the kids come in, can we put them on the screen now? If you want to stand to your feet, uh, whether you're in this town or not, I'm sure you can join in. If you want to join in saying them, we'd love you too. But once more, let's remind ourselves what God promises. And these are based upon God's heart and the truth of God's word. That God watches over his word to, to perform. We've seen a change. So, so we'll declare out these, these declarations together. We declare that Revival Church Biriki is a church family who live wholeheartedly for God every day and in every way. We declare that Revival Church Biriki is a church family in which everyone's lives are good soil, who value the word of God and bear much fruit. We declare that Revival Church Billericay is a church family 
where the generations learn and grow together. We declare that revival, sorry, is receptive to the gospel of Jesus Christ and the unfettered working of the Holy Spirit. We declare that Billericay is a town whose strength and security is found in God. We declare that Essex will be transformed by God's radical love and power. We declare that the United Kingdom will once again be established on Jesus Christ and upon the word of God, exalting justice, truth and righteousness, rising up to take the gospel to other nations, recommitting itself to the purposes of God for Israel.